Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 65, verse 24. God is speaking through Isaiah about his chosen people. I'm one of his chosen. This verse is written on the back page of my journal, always. I put it there with each new blank book. It reminds me of my chosenness. It reminds me... I'm being heaped with blessings by he who is supreme. I was reading an Oprah magazine that my mother-in-law subscribes to, and she quotes from a book, In Love with the Mystery, by Anne Mortify. Let the power come. Let the ecstasy erupt. Allow your heart to expand and overflow with adoration for this magnificent creation and for the love, wisdom, and power that birthed it all. Rapture is needed now. Rapture, reverence, and grace. How can we be and feel all this unless we trust that God is there to provide for us every moment? And he promises Isaiah that he is. At busy seasons of the year, or of my life, I'm so wrapped up in doing that I forget all about being. You've heard that before, yes? In Isaiah's verse, he gives us God's message that the Lord will look after his chosen. I will provide for their needs before they ask, and I will help them while they're still asking for help. Isn't that amazing? And what does it mean? As parents, don't we do the same for our infants? We know her so well, we preempt her needs as best we can. The Lord does that for us, His chosen. If we've submitted to God's absolute power and are not worried about our needs because He's already there before we even know what we need— then can't we just relax and enjoy being? Our main job in life is to align with God, who is the source of all energies. Do you want a place in God's kingdom, where he rules as supreme authority? Submit and experience true excellence. I don't know of anyone better to put my trust in. Do you? Good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be talking about my life as a homeschooler with my blue-eyed cowboy and our four children. Well, of course, the children are all grown now, but once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler, and I still have plenty of up-to-date tales about the family that derived directly from their exposure during their formative years to our unconventional lifestyle. I'm settling down a little this week after the thrust of Thanksgiving, and at last I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Moving from one country to another is a tumultuous experience. God is with me in all the nooks and crannies of the place I'm calling home for now, and I am glad indeed. Each week, I invite someone to join me during this hour, and we talk about the delights and insights of parenthood. Whether they're homeschoolers or not, we put the world to rights on the issues of child-rearing. Regardless of topic, I think you'll find our chats will always speak straight to the heart of parents who put their children above their highest joy. Today, my guest is a graduated radical unschooler who's living in Nicaragua. Michael Patterson is going to be telling us all about the important role his parents played in his life and how his homeschooling experience led him to Central America. Stay right here for that conversation coming up after the first break. I'll also be talking more about palm oil, noticing genetic traits and a visit from Dorts. I'm drinking tea this week because I found some posh organic bags in the pantry and I needed a blast of flavour to remind me of England. I have a chocolate biscuit and a good attitude. I wish you were here is scrawled above my desk and here you are. Let's get started, shall we? Dort surprised us with a visit this week. I half expected her to bring her laundry, but she said washing clothes at her apartment isn't too bad, except she has to stay with it. No more chances given to would-be thieves of her apparel. Nope, she didn't get her lovely leather Italian boots back, but we did meet a lady in the halls who asked her, Have you found your boots? And then told us to pray as if she had. 
Lord, thank you for changing the heart of he who stole my boots and for bringing them back to me. She went on to say that the Lord tells us in Proverbs that God can change the heart of kings. I was chastened that a stranger spoke so openly about her faith to a trio of strangers whom she didn't know were Christians. I told my blue-eyed cowboy later, Oh, I wish I could do that so easily, but I usually write those kinds of people off as zany, like the lady in the street in London who stopped me to talk about my cross and her relationship with the Lord. But they're not zany. They're just fervent and zealous. I took the new Bible I'd bought. We'd left our much-loved Max Lucado in London because it was way too heavy when I got home to start searching for the verse she'd quoted and blow me down if I didn't open it first time at Proverbs and the verse the lady quoted, chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. Thank you, Lord, for everything that's going to happen in my life. My new home, my published books, a successful film, my son's bird business, my daughter's job, my mother-in-law's health, my son's series that he's filming, and for bringing Dort's boots back. Isaiah and Proverbs, divinely linked this week, acting before I ask, and supreme power. Back to Dort's visit. I got sidetracked. She didn't bring laundry, but she bought a flagging car. Her battery was playing up, and she didn't want to get caught out, needing a jump when she's out one evening in the gathering dusk or later. Her blue-eyed pops took her over to get the battery checked and replaced, and now she's happy and safe. We had a good visit, and she was able to show her grandmother some video of her dancing on the cruise ship. Grandmama was a dancer when she was young, and she was very impressed with her granddaughter's professionalism and confidence on the stage. This was the first time she'd seen footage of her performing. I think it took her back to when she was a hoofer, but getting married at 17 put paid to any serious career in that direction. I think she taught for a couple of years. Observing my mother-in-law each day has allowed me to spot the genetic traits some of my children have inherited from her. Dancing, of course, and her general artistic talent are played out in all the children with the filmmaking, sculpting, dancing and organising. She likes to buy and try new things. She likes to shop for named brands and top-of-the-line clothing. Both Dorts and youngest son are like that, preferring to buy organic foodstuff and designer jackets. She doesn't like leftovers, like my blue-eyed cowboy when I first met him. Things have changed now. Or bread that has been frozen. Dorts is very sensitive to the freezer-burn taste and won't eat meat once it's been cooked and refrigerated. <coughs> she isn't partial to fruit, neither are either of my girls. She's kind and thoughtful, that's how all my children are, and a lovely host to us here in her home. And yes, she can talk too, which none of my children have difficulty doing. They're always good fill-in guests for my show. And talking of guests, my guest today is Michael Patterson, a graduated unschooler who has quite a story to tell. Growing up, he was involved with community service and earned the Eagle Scout Award. At 16, he travelled to Japan as an exchange student on college campus. He was a newspaper reporter, and Michael graduated from Texas State University, magna cum laude, with a major in journalism and a minor in anthropology and archaeology. As an outgoing, social young man, Michael parlayed his love of travelling, writing and talking to people into serving with the Peace Corps in Nicaragua. You can find him blogging at miguel.tefl57.blogspot.com. I'm sure if you just Google Michael Patterson, Nicaragua, that will come up too. And it looks like it's break time already. I'm off to grab another cuppa. And I'll be back in a sec with my conversation with Michael, recorded a couple of weeks ago from Central America. So don't go away. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo. Dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. 
Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Levinsky. Wednesday afternoon, starting at 3, 2 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, welcome, Michael, to my show. All right. Well, welcome. thank you for having me. All right. Well, first thing I want to um, ask, because I've introduced you, so my, my listeners already know that you're a graduated homeschooler, unschooler. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, do you know why your parents decided to homeschool? Well, um, I think it was probably uh, had a lot of reasons to, to homeschool me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my mom one time told me a story that I had, I had, let's see, I went to, I went to public school for kindergarten and for first grade. Okay. And I remember my mom told me one day that I came home from school, uh, and I told her that, mom, the teacher loves me. <laughs> and my, and my mom just took, I think in that, in my mom's head, she, she told me in that moment, she clicked that she was not being able to be the motherly figure that she wanted for me. Okay. Namely because I wasn't around. Yes. And so I think that was probably the first click in my mom's mind mm-hmm. that maybe homeschooling should be a better option. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I was also having a lot of problems in school with attention uh, or reading ahead of the class. I was getting all kinds of demerits for things that don't even make sense. Why was that demerits? Because it's like I, I was doing better than other people or I was bored with what you were doing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, so it, 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 I wasn't responding well to the... Uh, to the school environment. Um, and then uh, at the same time, uh, we were living in San Antonio, Texas at the time, and my family was military, so we were going to go move to Alaska. And so we just, my mom just took it right, probably at the right moment to, uh, to, uh, to change education to, to, uh, uh, to homeschooling. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Were you the oldest? Yes, I am the oldest. You are the oldest, and so she and she's got two others, two other. Um, you've got two siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, and so um, I know. Did you remember sitting in a classroom being bored? I, I definitely remember sitting in a classroom and just thinking about other things, just yeah. like just yeah. like whatever. Like I mean, I wasn't exactly a bored kid as much as I was a a daydreamer. All right. That was definitely. Uh, I, I don't remember how many times um, coming home with bad marks for daydreaming. Yeah, yeah. And and it was mainly because that was kind of, that was my brain's reaction, I guess. To all right, yeah, I get it. Two plus two is four, whatever. And just moving on, and my, my yeah. brain just suddenly just like looks out the window. Yeah. And oh my god, there's a bird over there. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's. Let me so, just let me so just look at that for a while, for a moment. <laughs> so how did how did that change once once you started homeschooling? Because you know that's part of your personality, and I know I've got two boys, and they do oh. that all the time. No matter how riveting I think I am, <laughs> they'll still get distracted. So oh, once boy, you started yeah. homeschooling, how did things change? What did it well, look like in your family? Mm, well, I would say that. Um, I had a very interesting homeschooling experience because, yeah, the first year it was the very school at home um, from, I think, 8 a.m. to about 3 p.m., uh, starting in second grade and moving on. And, and I was doing second grade work. I, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing the two-finger yeah. uh, sarcastic movement right now. Okay, okay. Um, because it was – because, yeah, it was supposedly I was doing work that was pertinent to that grade level. Mm-hmm. And and so and, and it kind of continued. I mean, the 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 my mom noticed that t- taking me out of the school didn't change my reaction to the environment as well. Mm-hmm. And that was the next year she decided to start unschooling. Okay. 
and and even then, I think I probably still was still given a lot more traditional style of, of education than my sisters were. Like every now and then, my mom would like hand me like a little math book, and she would just say, "Hey, let's let's practice this for a second because you need to be." Yeah, my mom start. I mean, I think I think all moms, I think especially unschooling moms, suddenly start to get that panicky feeling. Like, okay, my kid's about to turn thirteen, and and I don't know if he can do this, this, or that, and the other. Yeah. And so, so yeah, there's a moment of panic, and I think my mom went through that as much as other moms do. And so, yeah, I, I did a lot more than that, but than my sisters did because they were younger than me. Mm-hmm. But um, and my mom kind of like when she, my mom saw me being able to do all of that stuff at least to a, a level where I could get I could take a a, a, a basic entry class to a to a community college. Yes. Um then 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 she kind of relaxed about that and, and my sisters didn't have to do it. So I kind of I kind of broke the ice for them. Yeah, you blazed the trail. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think a lot of my listeners might be a little bit worried that if they don't go the rigid homeschool route and they, they must be child-driven, gosh, okay. what's going to happen? For example, what would your perfect day look like? Because I know what my son's perfect days would look like, and there was nothing like my idea of school. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, well, I think um, parents have to remember a little bit of, like, when they were kids, mm-hmm. um, and, and that rigid style of education... Uh, that is taught in both public schools, private schools, uh, and homeschool. And many homeschooling families uh, still use that rigid style. And and I just want parents to think back to when they were kids. And do you remember having fun doing that? Do you remember that being a positive experience in your life? Do you even remember anything that you learned in that class? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you I know mean, what? So- the more we teach as homeschooling parents, the more we realize. How little we did learn at school. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or retain anyway, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So so yeah, so so I would say that's reason number one to just let that anxiety go. Mm-hmm. Because really, um the, the 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 that sort of environment is just it's very, very um unimportant. Yeah. It's just not important. Yeah. It's it's very, very uh, what is the word I'm thinking of? Like topical or aesthetic. It's yeah. just, it's something that's not part of the core yeah. of what is education. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember um, when I started taking philosophy in Texas State University, um, and I started reading about Aristotle and Socrates, and these guys were, they, they were champions of education. Mm-hmm. And Socrates would come to this school classroom, which is really just kind of an area wherever they could all sit down together, and and he would just sit there with his lunch, and and he wouldn't say a thing until someone asked him a question, mm-hmm. and I think that that and, and I remember reading that and thinking that is what is important about education is the student has expressed a desire to learn something, mm-hmm. and. And I think that it, without that, there can there can be no education. I, I know I studied um, anthropology as my as my minor, and I remember reading about um, Alaskan Inuit tribes and how they educate their children is is simply a lot of the, letting the child go out and do the things that it, they want to do, because all of those things that they want to do involve life skills. They have to learn those life skills and they do it by doing the things that they want to do. Even in situations where that could be potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. They let them do it anyway because they say he will learn not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if he hurts himself, he burns himself, he cuts himself, he's not going to do it again. Yeah. A lot, And he's going to learn a lot better than I could ever just say, hey, look at this thing right here. It's dangerous. Please don't touch it. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing your kid's going to do as soon as you say that? Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play with this. It's not gonna hurt me. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, yeah. You, uh, you learn hard that way. Yeah. So, so I just. Mm-hmm. So Michael, you talk about going to college. So yes. obviously, whatever you did with your homeschool didn't hold you back from doing, um, from going to college. And no. I know a lot of my um, unschooling friends say, "Well, I equip my children with the tools so that they can go to college if they want to." <sighs> so obviously, you had that desire. Well. 
For me, college was a, was a completely a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I really wasn't. Oh my god! I need to go to college. And I need to get into a fraternity, and I need to do this. And I need to do that. I need to be top of my class. No, that just was really not anywhere in my mind. Um, college for me uh, was honestly a stepping stone to get into Peace Corps okay. because I knew when I was eight years old, and my parents would ask me, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" and I would always tell them, "A hero." I would always want to be a superhero, <laughs> and so. <laughs> And so, I mean, I really held on to that from from about eight years old on. Just that I wanted to go out and help people, and and college for me seemed to be the best way for me to get to um, that really life goal. Not an educational goal. Not a, a simple like stage of life. I really wanted to do that with my life. Go to be a service, to, to be of service to to people, and and and, and uh, so college for me was just okay. a stepping stone. Was yeah. just a stepping stone. So actually, getting in and going through your classes and and, and mm-hmm. doing tests—that was all right. Well, uh, yeah, it was a very different experience, um, obviously, uh, and 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 it affected me profoundly, honestly, because I saw. Uh, I saw my counterparts. I saw who my peers were that had been through the school system, and even before I actually went to college, uh, went to college, I actually worked in a Boy Scout camp because, like I said, I, I love working with people and helping people. Um, and I went there, and all of the other camp counselors. This is when I was seventeen. Um, were all were all from seventeen to twenty one. They were all in college, and I remember just hearing their absolute disgust with with classes, with professors, with exams. There was a, such a negative feeling. And, and and I remember being 17, I hadn't started college yet, thinking, oh my God, I'm going to go into that? And, and that's desirable? People want me to do that? Uh, and I remember, I remember feeling my first anxiety about it. And and then when I actually went in, I started in community college, and I, I recommend that honestly um, for for a lot of reasons. One, it's much more economical, mm-hmm. and and two, uh, it, it's also kind of like it, it eases you in. I think I think it's probably it probably helped me to be eased in, but at the same time, it's a double edged sword. Uh, I didn't get the four year school freshman year experience. But it, looking back, it really wasn't that important to me. So I really didn't feel... I don't feel like I lost that much in, in going to community college first. Um, plus, it, it allowed me to take a lot more... Uh, a lot smaller classes mm-hmm. um, with with some really good professors, honestly. Okay. Uh, I feel like um, a lot of community college professors are are much more passionate about working with, um, working with their students... Uh, over the material, rather uh, let me just dictate this information to you so that you can pass a test. Well, I know, but uh, then you went to a huge uh, yeah. campus. You know, I mean, that's one yeah. of the largest campuses in Texas. So It is. Oh. It's, it's a very big campus. Yeah, and so what was that like going from, like, small classes, because all of my children went to community college, and their largest class was about 28. For science, right. it was around about 8 or 9. And mm-hmm. suddenly they go to these large colleges and they've got two or three hundred in their class. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was a... And I remember thinking, how did they expect me to learn? I know. If I can't even see the professor. He's over there somewhere. I've never talked to him. Oh, oh yeah, and, and, and I think that... And that, well, that's, that didn't happen to me because I, I, and I did have these giant classes. And yes, I did, I, I did confront those, those, those problems, but the, the thing that I think that was so different about me compared to the, 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 the traditional education range from homeschooling to private schooling um, is that when class was over, they left. They just walked out the door and went on to the next class. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that almost, almost, almost ever, really. I mean, I would have questions for the professor. I'd walk right up to him and I'd say, look, I don't understand this. What is that? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what did you mean when you said this? What is this? What is that? And I, 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 it, I didn't feel 
afraid to do that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And and I really encourage students from all all educational backgrounds to do that. Um, if you have, a, I mean, they, they they say it over and over again. Uh, <laughs> there's no such thing as stupid questions. That, and and I and I don't understand why people don't ask questions. No, no. I mean, I mean, I think like going back to the beginning. That's the basis of education is an, a desire to learn more. If you aren't asking questions, you're not going to learn mm-hmm. just because you're not expressing your desire to learn. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well as you said, though, when you, when you went to the Boy Scout camp and when you first started at college, they were so mm-hmm. disgusted with classes right. and teachers and exams. So they were already fed up with the system, the exactly. education system before they even went, whereas you – hadn't had all of that so it was it was new for you and it was exciting it was you know a way to get to know people so mm-hmm. definitely yeah well good well that sounds as though that that's that's nice and positive let our listeners know that <laughs> it's okay and i agree with you about community college mm-hmm. um, and that's a plus and you know some of the professors at our community college had worked at large colleges and they said they just wanted to get into a community college where they could actually really get down and know their students and you know know that they wanted to learn most of the time mm-hmm. so that's good that's good okay well we're going to break here and when we come back i want to talk to you about um the peace corps your peace corps experience and and how you got into that so we'll be back in just a few moments uh-huh. how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Michael, I want to talk about your stepping stone college mm-hmm. into the Peace Corps. I want you to tell me about that. You said that ever since you were eight years old, you'd wanted to be a hero. You wanted mm-hmm. to help people. You love people. You love working with them. So go ahead and tell us about your Peace Corps, how you got into the Peace Corps, and, and your experience. All right. Well, um, Let's see. Getting into the Peace Corps is not easy. I'll, 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 I'll start off with that. Okay. It, it, is, it is very competitive. Uh, I think only um, 30% of all applications are accepted, to, are, are, are sent invitations to be Peace Corps volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very long process. It took me a year from my first application to get on the plane to go to uh, where I am right now, Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And um, it, so, tell it, us what you had to do. What did you have to do? I mean, what what kind of steps did you have to take? Well, the first thing you have to do is uh, you you're going to want to investigate Peace Corps first of all. You want to know where do they work, what do the volunteers do, um, and and you and then you need to see what you need to do to to be qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the program that I was trying to get into, I was trying to get into English education. Okay. And so that's what I do. I'm a teaching English as a foreign language or TEFL volunteer. And, um, and I had to uh, accumulate 30 hours at minimum of, of English education experience. Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking, like, all right, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And I just went over to my to my college 
um, uh, 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 ESL cl- uh, classes. Okay. Talk to the professors. There says, "Hey, can I help you in classes? Can I tutor students? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do the other?" And and the and, and they're there and I told them why that I was doing. It. I'm telling this because I want to get into Peace Corps, and they got excited about it because, "Oh, wow, you're going to do that." Well, I mean, college professors I think are actually really cool. Uh, teachers, because that I mean, if they're up to that level, it's because they love being teachers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, I think that if you can express to a, to the teacher why you want to 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 be involved in in something like that, they will help you. Mm-hmm. And and let's see. So I went into the, a lot of classes. I went to the um, conversation circles, and I would help kind of uh, um, facilitate the circles. I would sometimes when I see the conversations kind of dying down, I might try to ask them a question mm-hmm. that would provoke them to to respond uh, using newer vocabulary, things like that. Um, but but this is just my experiences in TEFL. I mean, if you wanted to work in environment, for example, you, uh, you would want to volunteer at nature centers, yeah. Yeah. or or you would want to work in. Um, if you're in college, because because one of the requirements to be in Peace Corps is to have a degree. You have yeah. to have a four-year degree, yeah. or you have to have, like, a bazillion years of experience in the field. Yeah. So it's just much easier to have a degree than to than to, than to kind of go backwards. Yeah. And so um, uh, what, I, what I did is I did that. But if you were, like I said, an environment volunteer, you'd work there. Mm-hmm. Health volunteers, they, they, they try to volunteer in... in I don't know all kinds of all yeah. kinds of things. people that are, are are doing pre-med stuff generally already have the requirements yeah. uh, to to get into health volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, after okay, that, so you've done that, you've done your thirty hours, right? Done all of those, and then the next thing you know is you're going to have your interview. So there are nine Peace Corps offices, and you would have to get into contact with the closest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to the guys in the Dallas office, and I remember my Peace Corps uh, recruiter came down. We had our interview. Um, and it, and it's coat and tie interview. It's, this is like going in for a real job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, because that's really what Peace Corps is, is it, yeah. it's, it's even more than a job. It's a life. It's, mm-hmm. two, it's 27 months of, mm-hmm. of real lifetime commitment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember having my interview, talking about what his experience was like in the Peace Corps. He was a Philippines volunteer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was originally going to be nominated for the, for the uh, Central Asian uh, uh, countries. Mm-hmm. They were going to send me to Kazakhstan, actually. And I'm really glad that I didn't get Kazakhstan because Kazakhstan has about um, a 20% dropout rate due to, uh, due to just the sheer difficulty of living in that, in that environment. You have to learn three, four languages just to work in one community mm-hmm. and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's a very difficult post. And instead... Uh, my, I couldn't get through the medical clearances because you had to do a whole bunch of medical, optical, and dental exams. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't get through that fast enough for that program, and I was then nominated for the Central American, okay. or the, uh, the Central South American uh, program. Mm-hmm. And um, then I was, in, I was received the invitation. After they, after they had done all of that stuff, it takes, I think, probably about six, seven months at that point. I received the invitation to come to work in uh, in Peace Corps Nicaragua right. as, a, as an English volunteer. Mm-hmm. And so, so are there lots of people there with you, or because um, I've heard that sometimes you might get set somewhere on your own. <laughs> well, so. yeah, I I, I, um, I was on my own for the majority of my service. Really, um, uh, I had a we call them site mates, where you have another volunteer that's usually working in a different sector. Um, small business. Small business was my my site mate. Um, he was with me for um, about nine months, huh. and um, and uh, his job was to work with the with in, in the high schools and usually in their senior classes to help them uh, under, understand entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. and um, which is, I think is uh, something that uh, here in Nicaragua is is really really needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lessons in, in how to how to develop a creative product, mm-hmm. how to uh, how to create a business and run your own business, and and, and I think there's very very little of that training mm-hmm. um, here. I think actually my site mate once told me he went to the town mayor's office to find a list of 
of all the local business owners and of 300 plus local business owners, mm-hmm. only two had educations in how to run a business. Right. And, and, uh, yeah. and, and I, and I think, and it's kind of funny because I, cause I kind of, I went through a period where I was kind of thinking that homeschooling maybe isn't a good idea because I was seeing a lot of people that had no educations, um, trying to do jobs that they that need educations in order to do like for example running a business yeah they didn't know how to take inventory mm-hmm. or that if m- the money that is in the register is not my money yes yet. they don't understand didn't understand that a lot yeah. of the time i remember seeing them like somebody would come up and say hey i need i need 20 cordobas to go buy something or other yeah and they just walk up, and take it out of the register, out of the walk, and, and walk on out the door. And yeah. it's like you have no idea now if your business is making money because you have money going in and out without being counted. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then there's all kinds of problems. The things like uh, quality control, uh, customer service. No idea. No idea how to run that sort of. Thing. Mm. And. Um, but you weren't doing that. You were teaching English. That was not my area. My area was... <laughs> you wished it was your area. <laughs> Sounds it, like. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. I worked with him on a, on a, on a small project yeah. uh, to try and give classes on that. Yeah. Um, so you were teaching area, English though, to young teach. people or what? And, yeah. So I started off first in the local high schools teaching from uh, what they have as a seventh grade, which is about, let's see, when you start seventh grade, about 11 years old, mm-hmm. to... Um, Fifth, uh, fifth years in their 11th grade. So they're about 16, 17 is what they're supposed to be. But I had students up uh, to 21 okay. in those classes. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of students that, like, they couldn't go to school that year. So they were they held, they were held back. Uh, they had to go to work in the fields. Mm-hmm. And oh, I'll come back. To, I go to school every other year kind of a thing. So you had yeah. some students yeah. very old. Um, for well, at least be, they had an opportunity to go to school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there are a lot of kids out there that didn't. Yeah. Or, or, and there are even more kids out there that didn't take up, take, take advantage of their opportunities, too. So how uh, long have you been in Nicaragua now? I have been in Nicaragua for uh, 27 months okay, now. So I are just you finished? finished? I just finished service on, um, on November 12th. Okay, and are you going to stay? What are your plans? Well, um, I have been in a relationship with a Nicaraguan since since I first arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was she in the Peace Corps? No, she is um, just she was she was my neighbor mm-hmm. when um, when I came in because like all Peace Corps volunteers come in and they receive three months of language training. Okay. Uh, so I and so I would say to people that are thinking about joining Peace Corps, if you don't know how to speak uh, XYZ language, uh-huh. don't worry. You're going to have three months of really, really intense classes. They make sure you don't go out there without being able to communicate. Yeah. And so... Um, so and that's how you met her right right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I was playing volleyball in the street with my little host brother, mm-hmm. and, um, and she is his cousin. Mm-hmm. And so she was walking home from her classes in the university in, in the capital, mm-hmm. Managua, and he just said, hey, why don't you come over and play with us? And so we started playing. And the next thing I know, yeah, we were talking. And then I was, my Spanish was terrible at that time, so I was trying to communicate. And, um, and she finally says, look, I can speak to you in English if you prefer. <laughs> and so, yeah, it turns out she was taking classes in an American university yeah. um, uh, for English as well. Okay, so, so your, your long-term plans, I know you're going to, you're going to um, get married. Yeah, we, or you we, are married. We're, you're gonna we're get married. already legally married. Yeah. And, um, we did that back in May this year, mm-hmm. and um, we are getting married in the Catholic Church, uh, the little church here in La Paz de Carrasso. So is your family um, coming from America? Yeah, they're coming. They're coming down too. Even um, they are. Yeah, gonna come down two days before because we're getting married on December eighth, which is known as Purissima, yes. and it's the celebration of the Virgin Conception of yes. uh, Mary. And it's a massive holiday yeah. here in Nicaragua. There's, it's kind of, it's celebrated very much along the lines of Christmas meets Halloween, <laughs> um, in where children run through the streets singing these carols to Mary, and the families hand out toys, mm-hmm. candy, um, and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even like household goods, like things like Tupperware, like things that these people need, because a lot of these kids that are that are uh, singing 
um, come from the, we call it the compo, out in the field, out in the mountains. Yeah. They come in, they're very, very poor a lot of the time. Yeah. So they, so that, yeah, love yeah. it. Well, that's going to be exciting and beautiful. It is. And your exciting. parents haven't met her before. Uh, no, actually, uh, my mom my mom came down, and she managed to meet Katya, mm-hmm. and uh, let's see, she was here for like about a week mm-hmm. last December, yep. and and then for Christmas that same that same December, uh, Katya and I went to the United States oh, okay. to be with my family, okay. um, oh, because okay. Christmas is not really celebrated too. It's not a big celebration down here in Nicaragua. Uh-huh. It's just kind of like a dinner with yeah. family, really, um, and mass. Yeah. Uh, but um, but they they always hear about Christmas in the United States. So Kate, Katya came came back with me mm-hmm. uh, to see the United States, see all the lights and all yeah. the Christmas carolers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and exciting. then let's see. And then uh, we went back after New Year's, and let's see. Back in April, my sister got married. Um, and so Katya and I went back together for the wedding. Mm-hmm. And so Katya has been to the States twice now, and we got her a uh, residential visa Good. Um, to, to, uh, to come back and live with me. And our plan is to hit the ground in January. Okay, so you are coming back to America? We are coming back. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I noticed that you have an interest. Tell me about your interest in international development. What is that? Does that tie into the entrepreneurial... Well, international development is well. Development in general, whether national or international, um, is very multifaced. It, it deals with business. It's part of education. It's part of health. It's part of the environment. Development is uh, is basically focused on improving uh, the lives of, of people all over the place. It's really what it's all about. And whether it be international or national, because there's plenty of the need for that in the United States as well. And um, and and for me, um, yeah, I, I think that Peace Corps really woke me up to the idea of working in development. Beforehand, I kind of I knew that I wanted to do Peace Corps, I wanted to serve, and um, and then I figured that I would try to find another job and then just continue doing community service projects as part of my hobby. And I didn't realize that I could really actually make a life out of this. And and um, and so yeah, uh, as far as coming back, going going straight into international development right after being in Peace Corps, I'm a little hesitant about that because mainly because I've been living in Nicaragua for 27 months and I'm I miss my United my United States right about this point. I miss being able to go to Sixth Street in Austin and being able to find uh, a Chinese restaurant the same next door to a. Uh, to a barbecue joint next door to an Italian restaurant. I miss being able to have that diversity that exists in the United States. But development-wise, yeah, it's definitely something that I really want to continue working in. Um, I think mainly my area that I would like to work in most is youth development because I I see the young people that I work with here in Nicaragua and sometimes it, it, it... it can get it can get very very emotional because the, I know that they're trying to learn English in my classes, and I know it's it's really almost it's virtually impossible for them to learn it because I know that they have to go home often to abusive homes, often to work uh, in 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 fields or in sweatshops and things like that. So I realize like when I tell them, all right, here's your homework, guys. And they just like, when am I going to do this? Yeah. And at the same time, I have to do it, it was like along with other six of the classes that I'm taking. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> it, it it that part can get really really difficult. And do you think is there a way out for them? Is is this learning English and going to school? Is that going to help? Absolutely, them get out learning of it? Yeah. English here in Nicaragua can be a major yeah. tool to getting out of poverty. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of jobs, right, a lot of, a lot of foreign investors are now looking at Nicaragua. Uh, especially in the area of international tourism, um, and so you see more and more demand for English for better jobs. Yeah. And and so, um, yeah, I definitely see English as an opportunity for Nicaraguans. I would say the three areas that Nicaragua needs to improve in, uh, uh, or, or what three areas that they should work on to be a better, uh, uh, have a better style of life, 
one is English. English, I think they should be working to become a more bilingual country like Costa Rica. And um, uh, after that, I would definitely say entrepreneurship because um, we can't all be farmers. No. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's, it's like more than 60% of Nicaragua's economy is in, is in agriculture. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry, being a farmer is not going to get you rich, no. especially no. not in a third world country. No. Um, Nicaragua is actually the third poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So this is not even just a poor country. This is the poorest country out here. This is one of them. This is, this is not easy life out here. Um, and so, yeah, you need, they need to work in entrepreneurship and, and in business development uh, in general, not just in, in small businesses, but also in, in more mid-level, even, even bigger businesses. They need, they need to get their act together. Yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, I would say technology. Yeah. Nicaragua has very, very sparse use of technology in, in, their, in their daily lives. I mean, some places, yes, have more access to than others. I mean, Katya has internet in her house, and, and that's great, and her family has a very successful business, and I think it's partly because they, they are accustomed to using technology. Uh, they understand how to do how to how to use Microsoft Word to create a survey that they can ask their clients um, how they can improve the business and and things like that. Wow. Uh, versus people that are in rural areas that have no idea how they could use technology to improve anything, honestly. Michael, I'm afraid we've come to the end of our time, and, and oh, okay. you, you were just wonderful. You were just wonderful. I think so, <laughs> to encourage a lot of a lot of my listeners out there, because I um, hope so. Well, I it hope. sounds as though you you know you, you decided what you wanted to do. You went out and you, you took your you took your first step, and your your what is it stepping stone through college to do what you wanted to do, and now you're coming back to America with your wife, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been wonderful. I've been talking to Michael Patterson in Nicaragua. Um, pop on over to Michael's blog. It's called In the Nica Time, N-I-C-A Time. I've got it linked on my front page uh, for my, my radio show. And, Michael, you have a wonderful weekend. And good luck with your wedding. I know it will be superb. And I'm sure I'll be in touch with you again. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm really glad to have contributed to your show. Well, thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I was talking to Michael Patterson, a graduated unschooler currently working in Nicaragua with the Peace Corps. Michael talked to us about how his unschooling, love of people, and passion for community service, which led him on his exciting adventure to Central America. We also talked about the ways in which his parents nurtured and encouraged his decisions, even when they weren't quite what they had in mind, and we know that feeling, don't we? It just proves that we can learn a lot from our children and their styles of learning, and trust that the route and methods they choose to take will work for them. I'm sure you enjoyed listening to this young man talk with ease about how he found his place in society and his interest in international development, and hope he has 
further served to ease your concerns about whether you're doing the right thing in homeschooling your children. Pop over to Michael's blog in the NICA time, N-I-C-A time, and read about his travels and experiences, and I have it linked on my show page at thesociablehomeschooler.com. During our conversation, Michael was talking about his service and he mentioned a fellow worker who was teaching entrepreneurial skills. Because in Nicaragua, small businesses are the way to go. Noticing how little the locals knew about running their own businesses, Michael said this was one and the only reason why he wouldn't advocate homeschooling. He didn't expand on this comment because he was talking about something else, but I asked him later to clarify his observation because I knew that he was really a pro-homeschooler. And this is what he said. Sorry I couldn't complete my thought. I was going to say that those moments, seeing how little even the adults knew about some things we take as common knowledge here, made me feel like these children needed to have more formal education because how could those parents teach them things that even they didn't understand? However, after spending time teaching in the local high schools, I saw that the environment was even harder to learn in. Constant cancellations, teachers that were corrupt, incompetent, or both, and administration that had no idea what they were doing, were making their educations a completely negative experience for many of the students. With this experience and at the end of my service, I was convinced that even the most basically educated parent that was fully committed to the improvement of their own children's lives through education could provide better opportunities than the public schools in Nicaragua. I believe this applies to American families as well. Any parent that's working with just their own kids, maybe two or three for the average American family who commits his or herself to their children's education, will be able to facilitate a much more personalized, positive and student-focused learning experience than schools can as they are current, as the way they are currently organized. I'm not an anti-teacher. I've been one for the last two years. I believe that professional educators still serve a great purpose. However, I believe the structure of schools and classrooms needs serious reorganization. If schools were more similar to libraries and museums, while librarians were more similar to teachers, this would be the perfect educational environment for me. So well said, Michael. Clarification. He wasn't against homeschooling once he saw the full picture as his service was ending. He was really commenting on the lack of business expertise some of the locals had. What a positive young man. Last week I talked about my son and daughter-in-law's visit to Southeast Asia and we've been able to talk more about it during the stays we have been having as we travel to and from Tyler as if Dallas were only 10 miles away. While they were in Borneo they sent us great shots of orangutan whose habitats are being taken over by the bottom line highly profitable palm oil plantations. Bian and her husband James Gifford talked about these during one of my shows in the summer. These lovely apes are becoming endangered and it doesn't seem to bother the countries where the businesses are located because they're getting rich from the export of the oil and the manufacturing of numerous goods using the palm oil as a cheap alternative to regular vegetable oil. Bian and her family told me that they were trying to boycott this surge in palm oil production by refusing to buy items made with the product. Unfortunately, a quick look on the internet shows how difficult this is for it is used in everything or so it seems when you try to cut it out that's always the way when you start noticing something you'd never considered before isn't it from margarine cereals crisps sweets and baked goods to soaps washing powders and cosmetics palm oil is used not always disclosed on the packaging depending on the law of the land where it's being manufactured the slashing and burning of rainforests where the orangutans and other animals live are pushing these apes to extinction. I have a link on my page for a site where you'll find information to better inform you about this product. It's called saynotopalmoil.com. Almost all palm oil is produced in and exported from Indonesia and Malaysia. Despite an organization, Round Table on Sustainable Palm Oil, RSPO, to promote the sustainable agriculture of the palm oil crop, there is debate as to whether the Round Table is a green wash because of its low standards and lack of regulation. Google RSPO to find out more. 
Large-scale deforestation is pushing these orangutans to extinction, along with many other native species of Borneo and Sumatra. And since palm oil is an extremely popular and inexpensive vegetable oil amongst manufacturers, used in over 50% of products, including, as I said, baked goods, confectionery, cosmetics, body products, and cleaning agents, it's highly lucrative for large corporations who are focused on the bottom line. As consumers, we're often kept in the dark about what contains palm oil because in many countries, significantly Australia, New Zealand and the UK, there is no law on the mandatory labelling labeling of palm oil. So we wouldn't know about it in, in Britain. In countries where the labelling is required, companies will usually hide palm oil under the name of vegetable oil or over 170 other names. Go to the website again to see the list of the most common 30 names. We don't need palm oil. We hardly used it 30 years ago, and today there are many alternatives, but unfortunately none as cheap and efficient, which is why companies are reluctant to switch or go the sustainable route. Orangutan numbers are plummeting at a dangerously fast rate, all for our sugary prepackaged snack foods and fragrant chemical-filled soaps and shampoos. Let's remember, we have a choice. Orangutans don't. If there are no mandatory laws for labelling in the country where you live, there are other ways you can detect its presence. The words made in Asia are a good clue. Also, prepackaged snack foods made by Nestles and Unilever. And if a product contains more than 40% total fat, it's probably a palm oil culprit. Nearly all home brand, no name, pasties and confectionery will contain palm oil. If you're wondering, that's Safeway donuts, muffins, cakes, chocolate confectionery, etc. Look to lose a lot of weight if you ban all that stuff from your pantry in protest. Better oil is 100% sunflower oil, corn oil or canola oil. Just because a product says it's organic or cruelty-free doesn't mean it doesn't contain palm oil. Palm oil is very much a natural ingredient. It's the way it's produced that's far from natural, which is something many companies fail to acknowledge. So to lighten your grocery basket, here's a smattering of products that contain palm oil. I think you'll be surprised. Colgate and palm olive, shampoo, toothpaste, conditioners, you name it, palm oil's in it. General Mills. Old El Paso tacos, dips, salsas and tortillas. Betty Crocker products, Cheerios, breakfast cereal, Nature Valley granola bars, fruit roll-ups to name but a few. Craft, Easy Mac, Deluxe Macaroni and Cheese, Peanut Butter, Velveeta, Cool Whip, Nabisco, owned by Kraft. Oops, I think I just used some of that in a dessert I made. Hmm. Oreos, Ritz crackers, Chips Ahoy, Wheat Thins, Spoil My Day, Why Don't You? Heinz, beans, spaghetti, spaghetti sauces and dressing, soups, Weight Watchers products. Is nothing sacred? Mars, oh no, here come the candy. M&M, Snickers, Mars bars, Milky Way, Twix, Bounty, Maltesers, Double Mint Gum. Thinking about a New Year's resolution here to save the orangutan? Give up my chocolate and stop chewing gum. Pet care, pedigree, kitty cat, whiskers, Mars are all over this stuff. Sarah Lee, Bavarians, cakes and cheesecakes, chocolate pies and fruit pies, croissants and danishes, crumbles and puddings, ice cream, lasagna, quiches, all this good and yummy stuff gots to go. There is good news. Some companies are using or in the process of switching to sustainable oils. Wait until you hear one of those companies. McDonald's. Whew, my Big Mac is saved. Just joking, I don't eat at that restaurant. Way too much other stuff going wrong there for this health fiend. The website Say No to Palm Oil has a comprehensive list. There's also a table with alternatives to buy instead of your instead if you can't do without Sara Lee cherry cheesecake. But when you're travelling abroad as the Giffords are, it is next to impossible to find anything that doesn't contain palm oil, let alone an alternative. On second thoughts, when you're just at the local grocery store it's next to impossible to find anything that doesn't contain palm oil. Gosh, now I know how people with food allergies feel. How about setting up a shop that only sells food that either doesn't contain palm oil or at least uses the sustainable product? Anyone out there game? No one said being a good global citizen is easy. Perhaps my son has a point. Grow your own food and cut out grocery shopping altogether. And it's time for me to go. I have no trips to Dallas this week. I can write and read and maybe even clean the place I'm blessed to be staying. 
That'll be a novelty. I love cleaning new places. I know, I'm odd. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Michael Patterson, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.